0: yeah, you come in and I think you feel immediately welcome, which was also something that I personally wanted to solve for, because some places where I was finding these more obscure but really interesting items were in boutique shops that just felt pretty pristine and exclusive.
1: You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Emily Schultz wants food shopping to be a more fun and mind-expanding experience. And with her company, Pop-Up Grocer, she's getting customers closer to the destination. As the name suggests, Pop-Up Grocer travels the country and sets up shop for 30 days, runs in cities like Miami, New York, and Washington, D.C. Each pop-up sells hundreds of the most interesting and emerging food brands around, some of which we've covered on the Taste podcast and on the pages of Taste. All of these brands are heavily curated and many run by female founders. We speak with Emily about the company's big ideas, even bigger plans, and some of the products she is most excited about selling. What a great conversation with Emily. Emily Schilt, welcome to the Taste Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Hi. Uh, Hi. I've been a huge fan of your work, and and pop-up grocer has been something that has been in my orbit for a little while, and I I just want to first get a little bit of your background before we get into what you're doing with pop-up, but... um, you know, you have a really cool resume. I, I I just, like, I'm really interested by so many facets of it. You you started a food conference, Bitten, which uh, I did not attend. I, don't, I may have attended it, but I, I remember it getting a lot of great speakers. Um, and you were also the director of digital engagement at Chobani in, in 2012, 2013. Those were, like, heady times for big Greek yogurt.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I can be so bold as to say it's a convenient theory for me, of course, but um, I think they were really kind of the game changers in making food a cool thing worth pursuing for a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, as a real business opportunity. Because before – uh, them, you know, Greek yogurt was, it existed, but it was a very niche part of the yogurt category. And then it just sort of dominated and became the category. Um, so that was an amazing thing to be a part of and certainly taught me everything that I know and aspired to be as far as a food entrepreneur myself. But
1: What an obs- observation, uh, you know, yeah, Greek yogurt, um, billion dollar industry now, but like certainly is like double strained thick yogurt. It was been around since the beginning of time, but like For you as a digital uh, engagement uh, marketer and and running strategy there, what, what was the special sauce to get Chobani, you know, over the hump?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so what I did there was really, I think, brand um I built the social media community influencer strategy when before influencers were really a thing when they were bloggers. Um and so I think I just built a real affinity not just for the product for, but for the people behind it um and made uh consumers feel like there were real humans behind the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also was somewhat new. And I think social media kind of allowed that in a new way at the time um, that you could actually directly engage with them. So, yeah, I I think that was kind of the secret sauce was humanity.
1: Yeah, humanity and and actually having a voice and not just shilling like promo codes. I feel by before then a lot of CPG was all about promo codes and like sampling right it was pretty pretty basic stuff
0: yeah and even just like benefits you know that's of course it was a healthy product but uh Mm. we really um put our foot forward about Mm -hmm. so much else uh in addition to that and that's kind of the philosophy or thesis then that i established for more or less the rest of my career was that like yeah eat well but like have fun do good there are all of these other components as well
1: and talk about Bitten. I mean, um, doing a conference, um, bringing thought leaders together, what brought you into that sphere? I think it's cool. That, and, and are you going to bring it back at ever?
0: No. I mean, I did it with a, a partner at the time, yeah. and I think she pursued it for a little bit after I left. I'm not really sure if mm-hmm. it exists in any form now. Uh, but we were really interested in identifying creators and innovators broadly in the food space. At the time, there were a lot of food conferences that were centered around technology specifically, or um, food crises. Uh, so again, like not really, our, our idea was that if we could make, a, create a fun environment and talk about everything that's exciting that's happening and make that really positive, then perhaps it would actually have an impact on all of the negative aspects. But we'll start with optimism. Yeah,
1: I, I, I hope that we can return to those types of conferences where there's actual like fun. I think Cherry Bomb does a, a great job too. So I think that, that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, it was really inspiring. I remember we had Flynn McGarry. Is one of the speakers, and um, if you know who that is, it was a teen chef.
1: He was on the Taste podcast, maybe episode like sixty. Amazing, yeah. 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 yeah
0: and Now, like I went to Gem Wine the other day oh, cool. in the Lower East Side, so I got to follow his career. Now, it also just makes me feel old, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're talking to me. James. um I have to ask you about the grocery store to start because I think the ethic of pop up grocer um, is kind of pushing back on the on the mod- on the kind of the current grocery store situation. But first, let's just get into the pop up grocer. Well, you know what is it? and and where Do you see it going in the next couple of years?
0: Yeah. The elevator pitch is is it is the destination to discover new grocery items. Uh, So in its current form, we travel the country and we go to different cities and are open for 30 days at a time and more or less advertise uh, emerging independent uh, brands. And we have a focus on minority-owned brands, uh, women, BIPOC, queer, um, and we feature somewhere around 100 120 brands, 400 new products exclusively, and they're also all better for you. So better made, better for, for the environment, better for our bodies.
1: So you're picking, you know, 400 products and you're putting them into a a, a, a cool um, environment. And I think you have a really great aesthetic when it, when you open these pop-ups there's a real vision there's a palette that seems to kind of run through the each pop-up you've been in DC and Miami and now you're heading to other cities in a, in America um, when you talk about buying these products or bringing them on how do you actually pick which products are in your stores
0: Yeah that's the most fun part
1: <laughs> Yeah totally
0: And, <laughs> and now I'm like up. I'm like oh man I'm like a CEO now you know I just sign things and make decisions and <laughs> um, I'm not really Picking the Ducky products, sign daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but no, uh, we pick them on three based on three core criteria. One, uh, is it interesting? That's really kind of the meatiest, which is somewhat ironic because a majority of our offering is vegan, uh, but where we we hold the most uh, importance and. The answer to that question can be found in the founder's story. It could be found in the ingredient sourcing. Is it sustainable? Maybe the packaging even. Uh, Or is it using a familiar ingredient in a new format, Mm -hmm. making pasta out of beans Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be? Um, And then if it answers that ever important question, then we move on to look very closely at the nutrition panel and the ingredients. Make sure the ingredients are sourced responsibly. So that's a pretty heavily scrutinized process. And then uh, the third one is about looks. It's uh, superficiality. Yeah, I mean. You <laughs> Does have, it
1: look cute on the shelf? You have to recognize that. And I think there's definitely some uh, pushback on like that element of food. Like, you know, people might think it's shallow. I think it's like really important to have cool looking things in your house. I mean, everyone wants that, right? Yeah. You know, and that's cool that you mentioned it's not your first and most important tier, but you have it there.
0: Yeah, and I think, You know, particularly like in our store, everything looks good. And that adds to the overall aesthetic and the joyful feeling that you get when you walk through our doors. Uh, But really, the packaging is increasingly, if not critically important when you're within a traditional grocery store that's 40,000 square feet and has 40,000 SKUs uh, because you have to stand out and you have to you have like literally one second to draw someone in
1: i, I have a i've thoughts in the modern grocery store we've we've certainly covered it on the on the show but i want to just get a sense of what's the core difference between pop-up grocer and albertson's or meyer or walmart even what's the main difference
0: The core difference is that we're exclusively for discovery. So, you know, we don't have produce. Um, We're not going to always offer your favorite Skippy peanut butter um, because we're exclusively new and we're exclusively indie. Uh, And we're always rotating and producing a new offering for you, presenting a new offering Mm -hmm. for you. Um, So we're not for your ritual halls were really for introduction and then the idea is that you could buy those things routinely in whatever way is convenient for you from whatever retailer you choose.
1: So you're you're featuring products that aren't only available through like a D2C direct to consumer model. Some of these products are actually available at a at a Whole Foods.
0: Yeah, you might just walk by them because they can't pay the big bucks for the eye level shelving, so they're on the bottom with all the dust or whatever. They're just too many of the same skew and you feel overwhelmed. So you leave the peanut butters. I keep using peanut butter. I, that's you know, the only product reference I have because that's yeah, my whole
1: diet. <laughs> your whole diet is your, your uh, you know, peanut butter cookies, peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Yeah. I I, I have to ask, like the grocery store with 40,000 skews, it feels like that's maybe not the best use of space. Uh, it's not great for the environment. Do you believe the modern grocery store is broken fundamentally? I know, it's like a crazy question. It's a
0: very rich question. Um,
1: rich? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, that being one, the consumer experience is not enjoyable. Uh, it's not easy. It requires a good amount of time. Or if you're anything like my dad, it requires knowing the map of your grocery store so that you can organize your list according to each aisle so you can get through it quickly. Um uh, environmentally, you know, it produces 10% of the waste in this country. 30% of what goes into the grocery stores is waste then. Um, so, you know, 45% of produce that produce is particularly an issue. And um, among other things just the whole economics of the business model in order to get on shelf at a major retailer you have to essentially pay them a lot of money in a variety of forms slotting fees dedicated um marketing you know it's like once you get on the shelf and you have to pay to stay on the mm-hmm. shelf uh demoings i mean it's a major commitment financially human from a re- human resource perspective um for a small brand it's impossible unless you're venture-backed now.
1: Right, and the venture-backed brands, I think certainly there's great ones. I would never malign the VC model, but certainly it's caused a lot of, I think, internal strife within food writing my world, food media. I think we get pitched a lot of products that are like why is this a thing and like why is it in the grocery store and you answer the question these slotting fees are prohibitive right for a lot of founders who have um you know not a lot of capital to start up but um you're clearly very different because you're you're discovery based you're not getting you're not going there to get your milk and get your you know your eggs and produce but Do you think pop up? Is there like a middle, like where the grocery store should be? We just wrote a piece about Aldi on Taste, and I thought it was uh, it was tackling the question about SKUs and how Aldi has between eight and ten thousand SKUs. When you mentioned uh, like an Albertsons or Myers would have forty thousand, so I guess it's a little bit out of the pop up realm. But I'm just curious, is there like a happy place for a grocery store that you would go to every day?
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and there are some concepts that are solving for that too, from a convenience standpoint um you know, you look at like a foxtrot uh they're small to mid size, and then they also have pretty strong delivery capabilities um and they combine both your pantry staples and delivery so um yeah, I mean, I think for now, you know I'm really gung ho on uh being best in class at what we've set out to do and who knows where it will go.
1: I love that because there is like definitely a runway for you to to expand into a larger footprint and be more permanent. I I see that a vision from you but I also want to just get a sense of when you're walking in pop-up in Miami and you're walking in I I think first it's like the Museum of Ice Cream experiential thing but I I don't want to go that basic because it doesn't feel like this is like a ticketed like Instagram only. There's actually real thought, you clearly curate these experiences. So what's it like going to a pop-up grocer?
0: Happy. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Lots of colors, lots of things you've never seen before, friendly staff. I mean, I I feel really grateful because staffing is somewhat of a challenge for us given that we're in and out so quickly and it's pretty uh, intense training to get them up to speed on 400 products that all have... A variety of nuance, really, in terms of being alcohol free alcohol or chicken free chickens. Not really, (laughs) not really uh, immediate comprehension there. Um, But They're incredibly engaging. We've had a lot of success with working with, like, actors or brand ambassadors by profession. Um, And so, yeah, you come in and I think you feel immediately welcome, which was also something that I personally wanted to solve for because some places where I was finding these more, unfortunately, obscure but really interesting items were in boutique shops that just felt pretty pristine and... Exclusive, and I wanted to create a place that felt really warm and mm-hmm.
1: really inclusive. This feels like the way food should be presented in a retail space. And I, I, I'm being hard on the Museum of Ice Cream, which I've never been to. And listen, it might be, it might be super rad, but that doesn't feel inviting necessarily. It may be fun, but you want food to not feel like a spectacle or doing it for the gram. Or you don't. Food is. I mean, these are creator. These are sorry. These are founders who are telling their family story in the packaging. It's you're talking about harissa from, you know, Lebanon. Uh you're talking about um we can talk about peanut butter it's from the peanut butter factory that has a long heritage history. So it would be disingenuous to like try to um sell it for its flash if you're talking about heritage food companies. So I love that you say that, you know, that it's important to be like, have fun, but also just to be happy. Yeah. Um,
0: and in terms of content generation, like, we are an Instagram, TikTok grocery no, store. Definitely. But but to your point, not necessarily because we gamify it as much as I think people are ha- genuinely having a good experience. They're seeing themselves or their heritage represented on the shelves. Um, you know, they follow a keto diet or they have celiac, and now they're walking into a place where rather than Allowing themselves to have three things, it's like they're only three things that they can't have, so they're just overjoyed, and so that naturally leads to them wanting to talk about it and tell others in their community about it.
1: It's exciting, and and I I just want to tap into, um, like the products because it comes down. We can talk about the structure of pop up in the future, but like let's talk about some of the products because you do you said you have one hundred and ninety companies in your uh, in your store. So for your previous DC location. What were some of the products that, you know, you really enjoyed, you love, enjoy them all, but what are some of the products you really love?
0: Yeah, that is always a hard question. It's It's hard. Picking my favorite child. I know. Um, I think it's really exciting uh, to see what's happening with the growth of the pantry category in general. Um, It could be related to more time spent at home these past couple years, but people are experimenting more, um, you know, like- Chili crisp has become, uh, Sichuan chili crisp has become somewhat like ubiquitous in our spaces. So among early adopters anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now, you know, there's like salsa matcha or um, black sesame, crunchy butter. uh, And that's really just music to my ears because I feel like we've sampled an almond butter a few years ago and people would be like, okay, it tastes good, but how do we, how do I use this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> there's no hope for the future people have no idea how to cook yeah. um so i think maybe these past couple of years have accelerated uh that behavior.
1: i think you get a little bit more you know income i know now we've we've our economy has changed drastically but before during the pandemic you could actually sample products and you could actually you know get new products in your house and have the time to sample it i love i want to just tap into salsa salsa because we wrote a piece about because we obviously observed this chili crisp boom and now fly by jing is in your store and that's a great product and we love them but like salsa matcha is like the next kind of frontier why is salsa matcha so great
0: maybe because there's already that platform of familiarity there in terms of like use case um uh, heat but uh and some ingredients you know like a nuttiness or a seediness um but yeah i think people are are ready now for new things to build on that platform so
1: I love it, it was, uh, so with the heritage in Mexico, and it, it's one of the condiments you'll find in the in the on the table in like Oaxaca, for example. But I, I think salsa so so macha is wonderful. You should seek it out. Um, we're we're having we do we're doing an interview. It might be up by the time this airs with uh, the buyer at Erwan mm. Market, and that's going to be.
0: Ooh, I want to listen to. I that. I know she's. It'll be a <laughs>
1: print, and it's a fun. It's a really interesting because I've, I've been trying to do an Erwan story for a long time, but she tapped into the idea. I keep saying tapped in. I don't know why I'm using. That's not great. I let's she a. Uh, She was observing a writer speaking with the buyer that um, the beverage category is crazy right now. Beverages, package like things that you you know buy to go and drink and on the go. Everyone knows beverage. Like, are you experiencing this as well as a buyer?
0: Yes. Uh, My inclination is to say that there's probably more being created than there necessarily is demand for. Um, The (laughs) the beverage category is so crowded, and certainly, if I were an entrepreneur, that's not um, where I would beeline just because it seems incredibly difficult um to differentiate oneself and it's certainly a scenario where it's incredibly capital intensive um but and I mean like crowded even among you know adaptogenic sparkling
1: beverages like yeah.
0: something very <laughs> specific.
1: Oh, I've definitely did a taste test. I was on the Serious Eats podcast taste testing like Kenyuric and all the other ones, and it was yeah,
0: yeah. But it's really exciting. I mean, in our last pop up, you know, um, uh, Tapash. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, was really popular and yeah. well accepted. So again, like really encouraging, I think, to see people, uh, adopting concepts and flavors that, um, are a bit new to them. Um, very bisap, um, black owned brand and a hibiscus, uh, tea. Like that was also really popular. Uh, we have another hibiscus tea. So hibiscus is, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> certainly, uh, well received and exciting to people. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there, and then a better for you soda is also still crushing it. You know, but that's yeah. exciting as well. I think um, there's a real opportunity to to switch people over. And now that maybe that they already had me have made that switch from Diet Coke or whatever mm-hmm. they may have been drinking before, uh, they're moving on to be a bit more experiential and adventurous. I'm more
1: of a Dr. Pepper fan, but I'm just personally, I, I, I'll crush Dr. Pepper, but I'll also go with a better for you soda too. On the flip side, what is a category that is kind of underserved right now that you feel there's actually pent-up demand to, to, to mm. purchase in this category where maybe you're not seeing the offerings that could be there? I know there's a lot of food in the world, but what's is there somewhere that's being underserved?
0: My gut says to say the freezer. We've seen really high growth. There, again, like I think people are eating more at home, but they want more options, more healthy options. And there still isn't the variety there uh, that there needs to be in terms of like making over healthy choice (laughs) uh, meals. Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. You know, we've seen like Snow Days making over Tostinos Mm -hmm. uh, and a few interesting entrees from brands like Holy Veggie. But I think there's still a lot of a lot of opportunity there uh, yet to be explored.
1: Are you hitting the fancy food show in a couple of weeks?
0: No, I created pop up grocers so I didn't have to go to trade shows.
1: <laughs> that is like, the admittedly, best
0: I think you know, like I told you, I'm I'm quite introverted. So the idea <laughs> of like networking all day is a just really not my my forte or my skill set. Um, but also. I don't know. I mean, the majority of our brands we find in the depths of the Internet. It's kind of working for us.
1: Let's go there because you're so right. Like, like it's kind of the same problem with slotting. You have to pay such a high amount of money to, to present at the Fancy Future. I actually like going there personally. Just It's, it's weird and just gives me story ideas, but that's yeah. just from my seat. But how then do you find your brands? I mean, you probably have an inbox where people pitch you, but are you scouting?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, I think some brands might still not know t- to come to us or um, they, don't, they aren't familiar with our sourcing process or how it all works. So they might just be fearful to um, or think that they're not ready or whatever it may be. So we absolutely dig around and do proactive outreach. But we are fortunate that people are coming to us and we can filter through it that way as well.
1: Are people just dropping into DMs with like links? Is that happening Definite. to you?
0: Definitely definitely dropping in the DMs. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of, I mean, it's interesting. Like I, you know, I'd never been in, I'd been in the space in terms of um, being in CPG for the entirety of my career and being on the marketing side of things, but I've never been on the buying side or the retail Mm -hmm. side. So I just didn't know how it works. There are still things that I don't know about how other people do it, yeah. Uh, but so you know, people send, immediately offer samples, and I'm like, listen, we have these criteria. If it doesn't fit those criteria, I'm not going to have you spend money on sending product to me. As generous as that is, I understand as a small business that you know your your cash is tight. And um, so that's one thing, and also just like the the pitch, um, it seems very. Impersonal or something, but I understand that maybe they're just firing it out and sort yeah, of spray and pay. pray. Yeah, a little bit yeah.
1: of that. I mean, it, there is a proper channel to go through, and you have you spelled it on your website. And I think, I guess, to our listeners, there's definitely listeners out there who might have a, a food company or a baby brand that they'd want? How do they actually, what's the best way to to get in touch with you? Uh,
0: you can certainly send us a DM or an email through our website. Great. I think I would just like, know. I, I would think this is true with any retailer. Like just know the retailer enough and your product enough to, to understand if there's really alignment there. You know, like if you're a Greek olive oil that's been around for a hundred years, like it's, it's not a pop-up grocer product.
1: Yeah, yeah. There has to be a little bit of a a bit of a shiny new toy element to it, but not just a toy. It, it has to have longevity eventually. But as you said, it's about discovery, right? And learning about brands and and kind of experiencing new categories and having a really fun time. Uh, how, what's so? What's the next twelve months like for you? What what do you what do you plan to do with Pop Up Grocer in the next year?
0: Mm, well, we're introducing new formats, which is really exciting. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you know I'm itching to do something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, this has been amazing. Of course, there's been so many challenges that bring newness the last three years. Yeah, uh, but I'm really exciting to tackle on something much bigger. So, we'll introduce a permanent store at some point here in New York, and hopefully, that's the first of several to many of those. Yeah, and. We'll also have another pop up this year. Not going to share specifically where that is, but a city we've yet to go to. Fun um, and a couple other sort of partnership curatorial partnerships uh, in the works.
1: Yeah, I see the brand um, kind of breaking out of uh, just the pop up model, thirty days in a city, and and doing some exciting things. And just with the full with the root, which is why I, I think you're so terrific. What you're doing is like it's all about like helping these small companies. Some not small, some are actually large, so I'm not going to be disingenuous, but smaller companies get audience and get consumers, right, customers.
0: And help consumers figure out what they should actually be paying attention to uh, just because they're flooded with so much stuff in the physical store, but also just that they're being advertised Mm -hmm. to on various social channels. I mean, that's probably the number one comment we get. Some people come in the store and they're like, oh, my God, this is everything I've been seeing online and now I can actually buy it, which is such an interesting comment to me, too, because it's like, no, there's a buy button on that ad. And they would love for you to make that direct purchase that there's some barrier that they can't go over, which I'm happy to Um, satisfy for them is that I think that they need someone to say like yo this is good and it's made by this incredible being and it's bootstrapped and um, here's how I use it and then you know they can buy it online thereafter but they need that human touch. I
1: mean it's the reason I went to Toys R Us as a kid I mean listen like the Tiger handheld video games I was like being marketed to that via Sunday, Saturday morning cartoons and I'm like I can't We obviously didn't have an e-com so it's maybe irrelevant but you have to touch it you have to look at the packaging you have to actually see this brenguia that you've been hearing about everywhere.
0: Especially and particularly when it's food because it's something that you're putting in your body. Same thing with beauty, which is an area in which will continue to evolve, or body care. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your skin is absorbing it. So there's yeah. an element of trust, I think, that can't be satisfied by the, the Internet.
1: It's clearly a lot of work, but, like, being around uh, new food all day, new products has got to be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and the energy of these founders. Yeah. And I'm so blessed. Yeah, I— Yes, it's hard, but uh, the alternative is like sitting in a cubicle and doing this more or less the same thing every day. It's mm-hmm. not built for that. That, sh- that Shabani
1: cubicle, you mean?
0: Uh, yeah, sure, or any other cubicle <laughs> that I'm sure they'd give me at this point. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, no.
1: Uh, Emily, we asked all guests in the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of budget, meaning you had unlimited funds, or deadline, meaning you had all the time in the world to write this book. What would that book be?
0: I am sort of known for avoiding any waste of any kind. Um, it's also kind of why I stick to eating the same things, is so that I don't just end up with, you know, half a jar of something that I don't know how to use. Um, yeah, so I think it would be like a like a singles guide to repurposing food or leftovers Mm. because i also think that it's being single as a single woman i've been single for eternity it feels like and so i'm become a master like cooking for one or how to repurpose a meal that i've made for four in ways that are Mm -hmm. still new and exciting for like the remainder of the week yeah
1: (laughs) so i feel that's very uh that topic is is needed and and certainly there's been dining for one books but i think tying in the waste to it because you are or buying things that are skilled down to the single or even two. I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a two person household with some cats, but so I could use it too.
0: Yeah, I just had some friends over on Friday and I made a tinned fish dip that was like six ingredients and so delicious. Whoa. And that was just, you know, from a half a can that I didn't finish from my lunch the day prior. Like that's 100% who I am. Nothing, listen, nothing stays in that fridge for long. Everything gets used.
1: Grocery bills getting higher. You need to, the world's getting warmer. I mean, there's reasons to like not waste so Emily Schultz, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast
0: thank you so much for having me this is fun
1: the Taste Podcast is hosted by me Matt Rodbard it's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber theme music by Steve Rydell visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter thanks for listening